This is the message from Connection Community Church for Sunday, September 4th, 2022. Put it into practice, live a life worthy of the gospel. Given by disciple member, Bonnie Sieben. That one more time, testing, test. am I good now? Okay, sorry, I started to say good morning and realized, oh no, I did not actually push the button to start. Well, good morning. I'm glad to see everyone here today. My name is Bonnie Sieben, and I am honored to be starting our new series with us, with everyone, on the book of Philippians. Would you pray with me? Father God, we thank you for this opportunity to gather together. We thank you for the chance to dig into your word, to receive your truth, and we just pray you would settle our hearts at this time that we could focus on you, set aside everything that would distract us and just allow us to tune in to the love you have for us. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So the book of Philippians is found in the New Testament. And if you're not familiar, the New Testament starts with the four books of the gospel, the accounts of the life of Jesus, followed by the book of Acts, which details the formation of the early church. And then the remaining books of the New Testament are letters written to either specific churches or church leaders by the apostles, most frequently by Paul himself. Um, And so those letters are really words of wisdom for all of us, but they have context and they have historical kind of place in the history of the church. And the letter to the Philippians is written, I'm going to pause for a second, Barry, am I okay? This feels like it's falling off of my ear. You're good? Okay. We had a little trouble last service. I just didn't want to get too far before I realized it was not working. Okay. So the letter of Philippians is written directly to the church at Philippi. And it is one of the four New Testament books known as the prison epistles. They're letters that Paul wrote while he was imprisoned for his faith. And so the church at Philippi is actually a church that Paul planted with Silas and some other companions on a missionary journey. It was one of the farthest journeys that Paul took. So this church is quite a ways from where he is now imprisoned in Rome when he writes this letter. Um, And when they got there, it was actually quite a stir. It was was not an, an uneventful trip. And this is accounted for in the book of Acts, um, chapter 16, verses 13 through 40. And so when they're there, Paul and Silas are actually seized, and they're arrested for the miracles that they're performing in the city. And so they end up in prison, and while they're there, they stay up late into the night singing songs and hymns of praise to God. And in the middle of the night, while they're still awake singing, there is an earthquake, and the earth shakes, and the doors of the prison open. And the prisoners don't leave. It's not just Paul and Silas there. There are others. And so the jailer awakes, and he sees what has happened, and he sees the open doors, and he realizes that he'll be held accountable for the missing prisoners, and he he starts to take his own life. And Paul cries out, stop. We're all still here. And the miracle of that night is that out of that experience, the jailer and his whole household come to salvation. And in the morning, the magistrates come and they realize some errors in arresting Paul and Silas and they they release them and they say, just just get out of the city, just leave. And so this seems like the kind of event that may have been part of the history of the church at Philippi, like things they talked about, right? Like when we all get together and they're like, you know, remember that time Paul and Silas were arrested? Remember how the earth quaked? You remember the earthquake that night? You remember the jailer, right? He's the one that gave the testimony in church last week. He's the one that talked about how he was saved through that experience. And so, you know, let me get to the right page here. Um, And so when the Philippians heard that Paul was once again 
imprisoned for his faith, they may have had some expectations. You know, they might really see this as working a certain way. They might anticipate a brief stay, perhaps a miracle and some salvations, and then Paul is out and planting another church in another new location. And the risk for their young or still-growing faith is that when God doesn't do things the way they expect God to do things, they could grow bitter or disillusioned, or they could really begin to doubt. Maybe God's not there at all. Their ideas about how God will handle this new imprisonment Paul faces and how God will actually intend to handle it could be and likely were very different. See, in this situation, Paul was not in for a short stay in prison. When he writes this letter, he is in the early part, um, sorry, he's in the early part of what's an over two-year stay in prison in Rome. He is sending them encouragement to help refocus their perspective because he was in for an extended experience there. Paul, in his wisdom and through divine intervention from the Holy Spirit, recognized the very real risk to their faith. And so the Philippian, and so Philippians is a letter in the context of history that challenges them and us to think differently about our expectations for how God should work and to surrender our purposes in ways we may not even understand. The whole book focuses on the contrast between the difficult current circumstances and the all-encompassing joy that comes from trusting God wholeheartedly even in the midst of those circumstances. And so today we're looking specifically at chapter 1, which has some very famous verses of scripture tied up in some really important concepts for our faith. And after sharing his initial greetings and some prayers, In verse 12, Paul gets right down to the heart of the Philippians' concerns, his stay. And he says this in verses 12 through 14. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear through the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. What has happened to me, meaning that he has been beaten for his faith, he has been wrongfully imprisoned, and he is literally in no control of what happens next. This is not a small frustration. This is a big injustice with impacts across every part of his life. And yet, and yet we see how early on in this letter, verse 12 of the very first chapter, Paul is already pushing back against any seeds of doubt in the Philippians' minds. Any way that they might be thinking that God is letting Paul down. That this isn't right. Paul says clearly that the gospel is being advanced. And his imprisonment is giving others confidence in their faith. In his extreme faith and faithfulness, Paul is just not concerning himself with what is fair or convenient. His priority is whether the gospel is being advanced, and he is gladly proclaiming to them 
from the start that it is. And he continues further to say this, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. And if I am to go on living in the body, that will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. I mean, talk about flipping their whole thinking inside out, and, and maybe ours too. The depth of faith to proclaim that basically all Paul wants is whatever is best for the advancing of the gospel. His whole life surrendered to ensuring that as many people as possible hear and understand the good news of God's amazing love and salvation through Jesus Christ. And again, what a strong challenge against any doubts or roots of anger or disillusionment that may have been growing in the church of Philippi, knowing that Paul was imprisoned and it wasn't fair. It wasn't right. It wasn't as they felt it should be. And it was not going as they had seen it go in the past. And yet, and yet it was how God was choosing to work. And it was what Paul had surrendered to in acceptance for the sake of the advance of the gospel. So my family, my, my husband and my two boys, and I had the privilege of going to uh, Wildwood, New Jersey last week for a few days for a little kind of end of summer time. And we had not been there in a few years, but if you're familiar, they have a very big boardwalk with a lot of like amusement park level rides and a lot of games. And it was kind of an annual vacation destination for us when the kids were younger. And so they kind of had this memory of, of what it's like there. And in particular, they remembered the games because I cannot explain it to you when they were little. They were the luckiest little things you would ever meet. Like they would win everything. It was ridiculous. And so they would leave the boardwalk with like multiple stuffed animals and bags of candy. And they're like, I remember this big stuffed animals from this game. They won a lot. And I can't tell you why. But so it created an expectation in them after, you know, having had those memories in the past that we don't go. Now a few years we come back and they're like, well, obviously we're going to win all the games. I mean, how many stuffed animals can we fit in the car on the way home, right? Um, and so I watched as, you know, we gave each of the boys $10 and they could go spend it all once in one of the $5 games or they go to the quarter game, go where you want, but, you know, go play some games. And I watched as they walked up with complete confidence um, and placed their money down or placed their quarter on the spinning wheel or went to the squirt gun game. And I watched as they didn't win, as sometimes nobody won, but sometimes, you know, with a squirt gun game, the prize went to another player or the spinning wheel game, somebody else got the candy bag. And I watched as their faces got a little frustrated. They got a little irritated, got a little bit confused or cranky, and it just really wasn't going the way they thought this was supposed to go. Because in their head, they were pretty sure how these games worked, and it, it worked with bags of candy and stuffed animals at the end. Um, and so, you know, they did actually find a game where it was a guaranteed prize, and so they got a little something to go home with. But, you know, the... the the way they deflated a bit when the experience they were having didn't line up to the memory or expectation they had, just, it was, you know, it was interesting and it reminded me, I'm certainly not comparing it to Paul's experience in prison, obviously, but, you know, it reminded me 
how often we set our thinking on expectations for how things should work in the world or in the kingdom of God without really understanding the full picture. They weren't getting how those games were rigged against them. Um, You know, we gather beliefs that are not necessarily based on the truth of Scripture, not necessarily beliefs that are based on God's promises, but on how, like, we feel like things should be or how we expect things should go or what would be fair to us. And then we start to place those expectations on God, things God never promised to us. And we get angry when our expectations don't meet our reality. We get frustrated, we get confused. And all along, you know, the bigger challenge is that actually we've made up in our head how things should be, and we've placed our expectations at God's feet instead of going to God and asking his plan for us. I have a playlist I follow on Spotify, and it's got a lot of like contemporary worship music. I kind of stumbled on it sometime over quarantine, and it's just really, I like it, and it, I go back to it a lot. And it was on that playlist that I first came across the song, I Choose to Worship by Wren Collective, that we sang just a little bit ago. And there's some lines in that song that just leap off the page to me every time I hear them. You know, in particular, where it says and proclaims, for you are perfect no matter what. In the joy or the suffering, I sing it loud. And it continues on to declare, you are good when life is not. And when I first heard this song, it just, it just captured me. I mean, the level of surrender to claim those words, to establish faith that withstands when life isn't good, knowing that, I mean, honestly, we have no promise that life will always be good. But we can know that God is good even when life is not. And I sort of wish I could tell you this really cool story about the first time I heard this song. Like, I wish, like, I'd heard it on this really bad day and it just turned everything around or, you know, something that I could give you. But that's not really how it happened, actually. The first time I heard it and it stood out for me and I really caught the words were at the youth retreat in March. And we were at Camp Ecomath and on Sunday morning we gave the students a little quiet reflection time this past year. And um, I just hit random on that playlist and just give them something quiet and background music and it started playing. And just after kind of a long, hectic weekend, as that, those words just settled on my soul, it just really was moving. That contrast between our surrender and our worship, our belief that God is good and how it stands in opposition sometimes to how life can feel, to the stress or the problems or the strain. And it started to become kind of a mantra for me. It's a song I go back to in worship on my way to work or on my way to get my kids a lot, just in the car. And, I, and that phrase, God is good when life is not. God is good when life is not. I just roll that over in my head, reminding myself that there is so much more than the day-to-day challenges of the world. Let's pick back up in Philippians verse 27. Paul continues to share good news of his circumstances. It sounds kind of ironic given the circumstances, but he's encouraging them to focus on what's most important. He says this to close out the chapter. Whatever happens, and I'll pause here to just say, whatever happens can include Paul's death. He's imprisoned. He's not in a 
good situation. And, and he's preparing them for whatever might happen. So whatever happens to him, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, striving together as one for faith of the gospel without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. Gosh, that phrase. Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. You know, it's really just always resonated with me. The concept here implies worthy, like an equal balance to, balanced on the scales of. And so we're being challenged to conduct our lives in balance to the knowledge of the gospel of Christ. And so what, what does that mean? What is that? The surrender of positions of honor, comfort, and authority for the good of others. The sacrifice of our own purposes for the good of the kingdom of God. Love so powerful that literally in the midst of being crucified on the cross, Jesus was crying out to beg God to forgive those who were crucifying him. Grace, so powerful that even though Paul, Paul had actively worked to have Christians arrested and put to death for their faith, when he came to know Jesus for himself, the apostles accepted him and supported his ministry. The life, death, and miraculous resurrection of Jesus that invites us while yet sinners into an eternal relationship with the living God. I mean, just think about that for a minute. Can you imagine truly living a life worthy and in balance of the enormity of the gospel of Jesus Christ? I'll hear people say sometimes that the Bible is about making them follow rules or live differently. You know, and I don't disagree. There's certainly an element of that in Scripture. But when I think of Scripture, you know, what I really think of first is Romans 12, 2, where it says, be transformed by the renewing of your minds. For me, Scripture is most and primarily about resetting our thinking in a way that is not natural to us Aligning our thinking to God's thinking as we connect to God in relationship. Transforming our thoughts, which, you know, in turn will transform our actions. But it is, you know, natural for me to think about how a situation impacts me. It takes a, a resetting of my mind to think about how a situation can advance the gospel and bring hope to others. It's natural for me to think about, you know, what I'd like to achieve or earn, or have in life. It takes a resetting of my mind instead to think about what I can give up and how I can surrender things for God's purposes. It is natural for me to think about what is fair or right. It takes a resetting of my mind to let go of my own rights and instead first think about how someone else will be impacted. Paul's thinking was so entirely set apart to align with Christ that his first goal was not his own advancement, comfort, or attention. His first goal was how everything he faced could be used as a testimony of God's goodness and the powerful love found in the gospel of Jesus. 
He wanted everyone to know that love, and his total focus was on ensuring people heard it. And so, of course, I mean, of course, when the Philippians reached out and they sent a messenger and a gift to check on Paul in prison, of course, his first response was to assure them that their faith need not waver based on his circumstances, that whatever happens, whatever happens, he wants them to live lives worthy of the gospel and know that the gospel is being advanced even by his present circumstances. And that it can be advanced by their present circumstances as well. Certainly Paul was not the only one who faced persecution. The Philippians would have been facing their own battles as well. And so what if next time we face frustration or trouble? What if we transform our thinking intentionally to instead of focusing on the problem, to focus on the question, how can the gospel be advanced even in this? How can my circumstances advance the testimony of Jesus even in this? This isn't an easy perspective. If it was easy, God wouldn't have spent so much time in Scripture teaching us how to adjust our thinking, right? And um, if it was easy, Paul wouldn't have been so quick to address it with the Philippians when they heard of his trials. But he is inviting the Philippians and us into this self-sacrificing, gospel-centered thinking to join him in celebrating the advance of the gospel instead of focusing on the whys of the difficulties in front of him. And I think we are challenged to adjust our thinking that way as well. I think we are challenged to consider if our lives are being lived in balance to the gospel of Christ. Are we living lives worthy of the gospel in all of its glory? Is our primary goal to advance the spread of God's love and mercy to lift up the name of Jesus even above our own reputations or earthly rewards? Or are we focused primarily on ourselves and how things impact our own lives? Now, I know that there are those sitting here today who face heartbreaking sorrow and devastating situations. And by no means do I I minimize that pain. You know, I believe that God walks with us in and through all of that. And that we can grieve and recognize the pain of this world and take it all to God. And I would note that, you know, it's not the Philippians sending Paul a letter with some pseudo-encouragement telling him, eh, don't worry about your circumstances because God's good. No, this is, they reached out in concern and love. It is Paul who is transforming his thinking through the power of the Holy Spirit in relationship with God and is encouraging others to see his situation differently. And so we too must be careful with one another to offer concern and love. And yet, in our own hearts, in our relationship with God, when we face troubles and sorrows, we are invited to look up, to set our hearts on Christ and decide that we will build our very lives on the belief that God is good even when life is not. God is good even when life is not. And when we do that, we can begin to ask ourselves, how can even this be used to advance the gospel? How can I live a life worthy of the gospel of Christ no 
matter what. And so as we close today and we prepare our hearts to take communion, I would challenge you to take an inventory of your soul. How gospel-centered is your soul? How focused are you on using everything to the glory of God? How can you seek God in new ways, adjust your focus, and live a life worthy Worthy of the gospel given to us in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Would you pray with me? Father God, thank you for the opportunity to hear your word, to believe your truth. Thank you that you are good even when life is not and bring us comfort in moments where that's hard. Empower us to live according to your truth and help us to align our thinking with your thinking, Lord, that our souls would be centered on the gospel above all else, that we might live lives worthy of the love you have given us. God, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the message from Connection Community Church. For more information and to find out more about our ministries, you can visit us on our website at justshowup.church. You can also call our church offices at 302-378-7692. Thanks again for listening. Connection Community Church, connecting people with Jesus and the new life he offers.